Good morning, church. Good morning. Truly, it's an honor to be able to share Pastor's Pulpit for a moment and to be able to share the love of Christ that's reflected throughout the community and reflected in the Klamath Falls Gospel Mission. You know, as I, as I was looking at coming here, there was a little bit of anxiety. There was a little bit of nervousness that might have approached my spirit. But as soon as it did, God reassures me that, you know what, you can do it through me. And that, yes, you're a, but a bag of bones, but I can make you who I want you to be. And that's, that's the awesome thing about what God does. And as I walked in, the worship team was practicing, and I just felt this assurance right off the bat. It was warm. It was comfortable. It was like arriving home in front of that fire, being nestled next to your family, you know, that, that feeling of safety. And I thought, the Holy Spirit doesn't practice. The Holy Spirit is always in action and always around us and always participating in our lives as we participate in what God would have us do. So that stillness and that quietness that I, that I found here, there was a time in my life where I, I didn't have that. And there was a time in my life where I might have had more hair than I have now and it might have reached the, the middle of my back and I was sucked up and I was addicted and I was miserable and I was angry and I had gone through a series of, of foster homes in and out from the age of six months to the age of about seven and you know, every other month I had somebody telling me, call me mom or call me dad or you know, this and that and the other thing that really wasn't what God I think had lined up for me at the time but at the same time as I say that, I think that qualifies me for who I am today. So in that misery and as in that anger, I got caught up in addiction and alcoholism. I got caught up in, in things of the world that, that are oftentimes celebrated today, but we as believers know that's sin. And sin is just ultimately a separate, separation from what God would have us. Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and the life. September 18th of 96, I had reached my end. I was sick. I was miserable. The anger, the depression had reached such a level that I either wanted it to end permanently, I really didn't understand the concept of salvation at that time, or I wanted God to deliver me. And I got arrested at September 18th of 96. I found myself in a jail cell. And you know that one would think a jail would be a, a place of, of havoc and chaos and confusion and misery and, and things. But you know what? I I had tried everything else, but the one thing I hadn't tried was getting on my knees and asking Jesus into my life. There was people in my life. I didn't like them at all. They annoyed me. They drove me a little crazy, and they were all always peck, peck, pecking at me. And you know what they were doing? They were sharing the love of Christ. I remember sitting on the front steps of a place I rented a room at a house, and I'm drinking a beer, and I'm coming down off who knows what. And this gentleman, at the time I didn't think he was a gentleman, was just telling me about the love of Christ. And I, unfortunately, I don't know his name today. But I love him with all my heart because he was one of the many that stand out in my mind that shared the love of Christ with me, even during a time and a season in my life that I wasn't ready, that people never gave up on me. So when I was arrested, not necessarily in my physical self, but yet it was, but I was arrested in my addiction, I was arrested in my sin, and I was in that cell by myself, the lights were off, there was nobody left but the person I hated the most, and that was me. And I got on my knees, not even conscious of the window or the guard that might look through the window or anything else, I just knew that I, there was nothing left, and I asked, dear Jesus, come into my life, 
forgive me of my sins. Set me on the way of everlasting. And it was probably a much simpler prayer. It was more like, Jesus, help me. Kind of like walking into this room this morning. That quiet assurance, that comfort came upon me. It wasn't a light, but it was that assurance that I have you. You're okay. You're going to be okay. Look to my word. And so today I bring you the most valuable possession that I own. There's nothing else, folks. It is the most valuable possession I own because it gives me the instruction in order to how to live my life and how to honor God through everything I do. And then it instructs me on how to share my faith through the Great Commission and share with others the love of Jesus Christ. So I found Jesus in custody and and you know what? It was a prayer of deliverance more than salvation. And as I looked at the Old Testament, I found that many men and many women had, had been reflected in the history of the, the world. But they all fell short. They would have money, have a fat wallet. They would have big houses. They would have gold and they'd have all these different things. But they would always fall at some point. There was always a point in their life that they would fall. And I thought, my goodness, how am I going to manage? Because I don't want to go back. And I tell the men and the women in the program, I say, look, your salvation is secure once you've accepted Christ in your heart. But understand this, is that your misery is 100% refundable at any time. And it's the truth. Because right now, there's somebody sorting the best of marijuana, I mean medicine, I mean whatever they're calling it today. And there's another person that's lining up the shelves with the alcohol and the things of that nature, setting it up. And there's another company that's putting on the Christmas labels to, to encourage people to drink and and maybe go that route. And I tell the men and women, you can't go down that road again. Oftentimes in life, when we're headed down a road, we'll see a, we might see a rock in the road that we might trip on or even a hole in the road. And, and oftentimes, for whatever reason, we'll fall in that hole. And because God's given us the ability to do so, we'll dig our way out and we'll get up and we'll, we'll keep going on and we might possibly very well make it to our destination Another time going down that road, you see the hole and you might just choose to go around it because you know you don't want to fall in it and you still got to get to your destination. But I teach the men and the women in Christ, we take a whole different path. And that path isn't filled with pitfalls or struggles or, or rocks to trip us up. That path is one that God's chosen. And if we're walking within that path, I believe that there's that assurance that he will get us to where he wants us to be. I was sentenced from there to the Redwood Gospel Mission. I went through the Men's New Life Recovery Program. It's an 18-month program. Uh, so very grateful. So very grateful. I was scared to death. I was this 120-pound, sucked-up tough guy, you know, with tattoos and raw, and everybody looked at me like, what is going on with this guy? But there was a gentleman there. He was a chaplain. And I remember going into his office, and he said he needed, his name was David Morris, and I went into his office, and I sat there, and he said, hold on, I need to go get something. And as I'm sitting in this office, scared to death, I wouldn't have admitted at the time, I looked back, and on his door, there was a poster of Christ holding up this man, just holding him up in his weakness. And I just reflected on that, and I just kind of focused on that. And as I went through that program, I just had to lean on God because in the program, there were people that were just there because they were court ordered. They were there, there were people there that were, you know, given a half measure of what God would ask of them. And, and maybe they weren't going to make it 
to where God, or receive what God was going to offer them later, you know, in life. And, and I knew I just needed to commit 101%. And that's what I really delved and tried to do. I started working for a church out in Sebastopol, uh, doing maintenance and things of that nature. I uh, started getting uh, mentored by a pastor out there. He's still my mentor today, 25 years later. Uh, he came to my house, oh, a few months ago, and he says, Amen, you need to write a book. And I said, God's writing that book. He's written that book. I don't need to write a book. Um, but from there, as I graduated from the program, I was asked to come on staff. I was the uh, evangelist director. I did outreach, did a food ministry. I also did maintenance. I also scrubbed toilets. I started at the very bottom. But you know what? There was, again, that assurance of working within the church and feeling that ultimately my boss was God and then I was working through the people he set above me. And there was an assurance in that. I wasn't making somebody, I wasn't working to make somebody else rich. I was working to bless other people. From there, I went on to work for uh, the Reading Gospel Mission. And I was the director of the men's ministry there for about three and a half years. Before I stepped down, my, my son was about to be born. Uh, I was actually burning out a little bit because I wasn't depending on... Uh, fellowship I wasn't depending on so much of the word I was depending on doing works maybe you might say but I was burning out and so I used that to step out of that field and and back into um, basically going into construction flipping houses and things of that nature and I felt a certain sense of guilt because when God first met me he said I'm calling you to ministry I'm calling you to serve other people and uh, I had a heart for that and as I as I started a couple uh, businesses God reassured me that, look who your customers are. And most of my customers were widows. And the word says is to take care of the widows. So I did that to the very best of my ability. I had customers that would leave a, give me a key, say, I'm going on vacation. There's a check on the counter. Get everything done. It was an honor to be allowed into these people's homes and be entrusted. Because before this time, before Jesus came into my life, I was a liar. And I was a thief. And you wouldn't want me anywhere near your home. And that's just who I was. That's how I had learned how to survive. It wasn't that I was trying to do good or trying to do bad. It was just that I was trying to survive. And so in this new life, people were giving me grace and giving me trust. And I thought, man, this is so awesome. Because you can't buy that stuff at 7-Eleven or Walmart. You can't get that off a shelf. So as I, as I worked these couple career paths, God enabled us to pay off our, our debt, um, I flipped a few houses. We kept putting the money into the church, into our debt, and paying that all off. Till we reached a point at about 45. I was 45, and, and God said, "You know what? <laughs> you can retire, but I want you to go back into ministry." And we ended up moving to Paradise and Megalia, uh, which we thought was going to be our forever home. It was up in the mountains and up in the trees. It's where I really love to be. And then, as you know, the fire swept through and destroyed the whole county. And as my, me and my wife are sitting in what I call the dead zone, because everything was just wiped out. It looked like a holocaust. We asked each other, where do we want to go? And God put it on our hearts uh, to come up here, because we had originally honeymooned over at the Running Y 18 years ago. And we thought, what better place to move to than the place we've been vacationing every year for almost 20 years. And, and God just opened up the door. We came up here. We hadn't been to church in about six months because our whole county had burned. We could have traveled four hours. I'm, you know, granted, it is, a, it is an excuse, but it was a tough time in our lives. So when we came up here, we hadn't been to church for a little while. And I told my wife, we're not going to shop around. 
we're going to ask God what church, and we're going to go, and we're going to plant seeds, and we're going to grow roots. So we ended up finding New Horizons Church, and um, it was very much like where I met my wife and where I started out in ministry because it's a school and a church. So we were very comfortable there. Pastor Mike Boyd sticks to the word of God, and I appreciate that. Um, so I'm looking, I'm looking, Lord, where do you want me to work? Where, where do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Because I had this desire, I, you know, in retirement, I couldn't really share this with my friends that were working, but I was rather miserable because no longer did I have a purpose. No longer did I have a, a point to what I was doing. Yeah, I was washing dishes and getting my kids ready for school and all that, and, but that wasn't what, I wanted to, to make an impact in the community. I wanted to make an impact in lives. And, and I remember pastor saying, well, help the youth pastor do uh, a, a concert night. And I'm like, okay. So I meet with the youth pastor and I say, okay, who from Simpson College can we pull? Who's going to run security? Where can we get lights? And they're kind of looking at me like, what? What? I said, we're just going to put up a sheet and we're going to show a movie and we're going to have one of the brothers play some guitar. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Well, that's fine. That's fine. And uh, so we did that and that was good. But I still, I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because at, at this point, I was, I was remembering that my ministry isn't to children. It's it's a ministry to people and adults. And you know what? I don't mind the dirty, freaky people because I used to be one of those dirty, freaky people. And I can see what, I, I can almost see when I'm, I'm meeting with a man or a woman at the mission, how God could use them or I see their heart through the chaos that their life may be. And I'm like, God loves you. Jesus loves you. Understand what God offers you right now. And you can make a decision right now to take a different path, to no longer fall in that hole, to no longer look at that hole and say, I don't want to go in that hole, but eventually end up falling in that hole again, that there's a different way for you to go. I got a call from my pastor. It was a rare call because he's a busy guy. And he says, Amen, they're looking for a volunteer chaplain at the mission. Why don't you go down there and, and talk to him? And I said, wow, wouldn't it be neat to come full circle from that long-haired dope fiend that went through the New Life Recovery Program 25 years ago to helping out as a chaplain at the mission? And, and, and I love those people. I'm like, yes. So I'm meeting with Mr. Barry, who, as you know, served there for over 20 years. <laughs> and uh, just a wonderful man. And after about an hour and a half of just chatting with him, he says, why aren't you applying to be the director of the, the executive director of the Klamath Falls Gospel Mission? And I really quickly said, because my ego is not that big, I would have never applied for that job. I'm the guy that likes to sweep. You know, I don't like attention. Uh, when God asks me to do something, it's an honor, but, you know, I do it with fear and trembling. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, you know, so I told Mr. Barry, I said, look, you know, uh, that sounds wonderful. Do you think I can do it? He says, yes. He, I said, I'll pray about it. He says, you pray about it. So I immediately went back to Pastor Mike. I said, can you, do you think I can do it? He says, yes. I say, okay, I need to talk to 50 more people before I really, you know. Because being called to ministry, it's not just sharing a message for 10 or 20 minutes once a week. It's a 24-7 job. It's like joining the military. It's like becoming a father or becoming a mother. Your job never ends. You're always on call. There's always something to do. There's always something to pray about. Even at 2 in the morning, I wake up, and there's somebody on my heart that I need to pray for. There's some issue that I'm wrestling with that I need to give to God. It's always something. And so as I, I stepped into this role, I went before the board and they were trying to evaluate me and reconcile me before, as I call it, man, to figure out, am I safe? 
Am I going to be the right guy? And they're asking me these questions, and it's frustrating me. Because before man, I am a dirtbag. I am a dirtbag. But in Christ, as you know, and as we all identify, he's made us new. So I took a chance, and I said, look, I'm not schizophrenic, and I don't hear voices, but I do hear the voice of God. And God's called me to this ministry. And they all readily agreed with me. I'm like, good, okay, I don't think I'm nuts. <laughs> so I went home. I sat down with my 12-year-old daughter, my 15-year-old son, and my wife of almost 20 years. And I said, look, as I step into this, understand that we are going to be attacked. It's not the flesh and blood that we're, we're going to be wary of. It's going to be other things. And that we will be attacked. And for those that desire to be godly in Christ Jesus, we will be persecuted is what the Word of God says. And I said, are you willing to step into this with me? Because understand, there's going to be times that I'm going to be called that I can't be at home. There's going to be times that you're going to be faced with challenges that are not necessarily your issue or your problem. But because I'm where I'm at, you're going to be attacked too. What was neat, they all said, yeah. They all said, yes. They're going to be here second service, so I can't wait to pick on them. But I'm very grateful for my family. Sometimes my, uh, my wife or my daughter or my son will just stop me and pray for me. I'm blessed. i got two wonderful children that love the Lord. Uh, I don't deserve it. <laughs> but God has given that to me, and I'm so grateful. Um, so I went back to Mr. Barry. I went back to the board, and I said, look... Uh, I accept the position as I stepped into it. For the first couple months, I worked with Mr. Barry to, to find out what was normal for the mission. You know, uh, as we're looking at all the bills coming in, I'm like, is this a necessity of running the mission business? And, and Gertie, my bookkeeper, would say no, and I'd say, okay, we're not paying that because all the money needs to go to equipping the lost is what my heart is. I mean, even our newspaper, I love our newspaper. <laughs> At $11 a month, it wasn't costing us a great deal. But it went too, I'm afraid. Because everything that doesn't go to feeding, sheltering, and discipling people, we're not going to spend it. That's our heart. And so Mr. Barry would help me evaluate what was, what was important and what was not. And as I, as I had two months to work with him, I was supposed to learn 20 years worth of experience in those uh, two months. It's been seven months, and I still feel like the new guy there. Um, as soon as I got there, though, my heart is outreach, and I knew I had to bridge to churches in the community. I knew I had to reach out somehow, and because of this COVID-19 restrictions, I wasn't able to do that, and I had heard about the Farms to Family Food Box program, so as I researched that, I found that there were no hubs on the West Coast at all, except down in L.A. and then Texas and around the East Coast, so I, I applied for that, and God just continually opened up doors there where I finally found a distributor, I finally found a truck, and then I knew the truck was gonna cost me $100, even with a huge discount, twice a week. And I thought, how can we even afford that? Next thing I know, I'm going over to a newfound friend of mine that I had, I had met at New Horizons, and I go over there to visit him, and I pull into his yard, and there's a double trailer truck right there. My wife hadn't even stopped the car, and I'm jumping out to go meet Tim and talk to Tim about this, this truck. And Tim says, look, I'll drive it for you. But it's going to cost me a little bit of, you know, I'm going to give everything I can, but there's a road tax you still, you know, that we got to pay. And I'm like, okay, I will figure it out. I'll pay it myself if I have to. And that night I get home, 
and my secretary calls me and says, Amons, you need to call the distributor of Aloha Produce at the time. Right away, there's, there's something they want to talk to you. And me and my, my negative attitude sometimes said, oh, no, it's going to fall apart. Because this was huge. This was a way to get tons and tons of food to the community and help people. And it was an opportunity to celebrate. Because not only was it for the working poor and homeless, it was for everybody. Because everybody that received a box, a farmer then got paid and got subsidized. So it was for everybody. It wasn't just a working poor program. It was an everybody program. And we live in a community of farmers. And I thought, what way way to to show the love of Christ in a practical way, but through the Farms to Family Food Box program, because I could reach out and everybody would get blessed. And so as I call the distributor, I'm thinking it's going to fall apart. It might doubt. Distributor gets on the phone, the owner, and says, look, I hear what you're trying to do. I think it's awesome. I'm going to pay for the trucks myself. And we got the food coming down. We started with 770 boxes. And at the end of the program, we were giving away a million dollars worth of food twice a week. I don't know if you saw them. There was 13 trucks lined up on on the mission. It was amazing. Even our forklift driver, we borrowed a forklift from a gentleman who uh, owns a place in Medford. And uh, he had to take that back. And another gentleman, uh, Kenny Prescott, who has a contracting business in the community, would come every week with his forklift and twice a week and give up his time and just help us distribute all the food. So it wasn't until the end that I really, you know, it was 5.30 in the morning. It was dark. All the trucks are humming because they're all refrigerated trucks. There's people, there's like 60 volunteers on the ground. We had trucks, trailers, vans lined up all the way back, probably about five acres back and around and over. It was huge, two stations, one for cars, one for trucks and trailers. And the Lord paused me. And it's that quietness and that stillness and that assurance that I spoke of earlier. And, and he said, I did that. And I'm like, yeah, I know, Lord. He's like, yeah, but I did that. And I wondered what that meant. And then I realized I could put on a show, I could make an appeal, but God moved the hearts of all those people that made that effort happen. It wasn't me, it wasn't even the Klamath Falls Gospel Mission, it was a huge part of our community reflected on the, that were the hands and the feet that were moving all those boxes into the community. So to this day when people say, oh, that was a great thing, I said it was God, because I couldn't have moved all those hearts of the people that did all that. It's truly amazing. So I'm a believer in miracles. My life is a miracle today. Uh, I live in a house I don't deserve. I drive a car I don't deserve. I have children I don't deserve. But in Christ, God says, I am going to bless you abundantly. Just chase after me. Those of you that have the word of God with you, I challenge you to open the word of God to Proverbs chapter 12. And I love Proverbs Because it's the comparison between the wise person and the foolish person. And as we're ministering to people at the gospel mission, because my heart is not just to feed them, not just to shelter them, but to ultimately sustain them, you know, God will sustain them for eternity, is to give them the wisdom they need in order to chase after God. And so chapter 12 says, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. It's like, ouch, Lord. Oh, my gosh. It's like one of those promises of God that, 
you know, those that desire to be godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm like, Lord, that's not cute and cuddly. That's not fun to wrap around my shoulders. Well, this is another one of those. But whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, and he who hates correction is stupid. Verse 2, a good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a, wicked, a man of wicked intentions he will condemn. Verse 3, a man is not established by wickedness, but the root of righteousness cannot be moved. I tell the men and women, I say, take on, take on Christ. There's an assurance, there is a strength. It's like the songs we're reflecting on as we're worshiping and meditating on God's goodness today. There is an assurance and a strength that comes from knowing God. During the season of politics and COVID-19 and all this insecurity, as believers, we have an assurance. And, and when we go to the word of God, we have that reassurance and as we talk to people that are struggling and fear and anxiety, I don't think it's a point that we need to condemn them or criticize them, but it's a point to share that assurance that we have been given them. And if there are another believer in there, to remind them and give them that reassurance. Because I won't lie to you, when COVID-19, I said, where's COVID-19? I want to find it and kick its rear, you know? You know but then I realized that's not what God did when, when he approached me and my sin. He didn't judge me. He didn't criticize me. He says, look, just where are you? Where do you want to be in relationship to me? And gave me that assurance. I know in Genesis, when Adam and Eve and Satan are having that conversation, and then Adam and Eve sin and fall short and do that thing, and they're hiding in the garden. What does God do? God says simply, where are you? It's not a punitive arm of the law saying you're stupid <laughs> or you've done bad. It's just where are you in relationship to me? I think it's two things. Is one, there's an opportunity to repent. And two, it's an opportunity to know where we are in relationship with God. And I think what's different with me today than from when, you know, 15 years ago when I kind of burned out working for the rescue mission and the other places that it doesn't matter how many boxes I move. It doesn't matter how many good works that we do. It's do we pause and understand where are we in relationship to God and are we walking within the will of God? When, when the men and women would come from the community and take on these hundreds of boxes and take them out in the community, I used to tell them, and I still tell people to this day, is take that box captive. And they'd say, what does that mean? I said, well, when you hand that box off for a moment, you're gripping it and they are gripping it. And for that moment, you have taken that person's attention captive. And I say, don't be quick to release it. Pause in what you're doing and ask them, where are you at in today's world? How are you doing? Do you have that peace that surpasses understanding? Do you know Jesus? Are you struggling? You know, take a look at where that person is. And pause, because it's not a matter of how much we can do. It's a matter of, I believe, are we doing what God would have us do and where are we in relationship with the Lord? Even at the very end of the Bible in Revelation, when uh, Revelation is speaking, to a, speaking of a church and Christ is outside knocking, that church at the time was well, had a whole bunch of really good stuff going on. They had wealth, they had prestige, they, they believed they were, they were doing the right things and worshiping God, but yet the lesson to all of us, I think, today as a believer is is. Is Christ outside the door knocking, or are we in relationship with God? From the beginning to the end, God's asking us to be in relationship to him. So at, in the gospel mission, we're, we're constantly inviting people 
to know the Lord. Thursday, we had a baptism, which was amazing, at another church here in the community. We had nine people that were baptized. Earlier, I had gone to a funeral, and then I, was gone, I had gone to a baptism, you know, gone to the baptism, and it was amazing because, you know, the lives changed. As I spoke to the men and women, I said, I know your stories. I know your struggles. I know where you've been. And I also know where you're going because I'm going the same place. I've been in the same battles and I know the same victories that can be fought and won through Christ. About eight people gave their life to the Lord. I had, I had spoke to a young lady before we started service and uh, she said she was fresh out of jail. She wasn't familiar with the gospel mission. Her husband had her children. She wasn't allowed to see them, and she was really broken. So I laid it out really quickly that I was here, and this is where I am now, through Christ. And then I was broken, and I didn't know how to manage things. And, but God sorted those things out and gave me a vision on how to manage those things. And I left it at that. And as, as my chaplain is baptizing people, God just kept whispering about this young lady. You know, it's her time. It's her season. It's her opportunity. And so when he was done, uh, one of our volunteer chaplains came up and shared a great message that, that you will be tempted, but God gives us the strength to resist that temptation. And just because you're tempted doesn't mean you're falling prey to sin. It means you're being tempted to run the other way. And he gave a great message. And I thought, as a team, we were doing great things for the Lord. And, and by myself, I could not have done that. But as he shared that message, I started to inch my way over across and back, and I, I kind of kneeled down between a lady I knew and then this lady I didn't know too well because I wanted to, to have the honor to turn to her and say, are you ready to make that decision? Because at the Klamath Falls Gospel Mission, that's what we're doing. Yeah, we're feeding people, we're sheltering people, we're an emergency evacuation center, we're a domestic violence uh, shelter, we are reuniting children with their mothers and doing all this great thing, but my priority is, are you ready to make that decision? Are you ready to look to God? So as I'm kneeling down, my chaplain then gets up and then starts talking, starts talking to everybody. And before I knew it, he says, well, with every head bowed and every eye closed. And I said, I knew what's coming next. So I kept my eyes open. <laughs> and he says, he, he, he made the appeal and he says, those of you that want, desire to know Jesus just as a symbolic effort, just slide your hand up. And I look over and hand went up. I said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on. Come on, Jesus. Because that's the opportunity that God gives us as we timidly slip up our hand or as we're on that jail cell or wherever we're at. When we say, yes, Lord, Satan no longer has the power over our life. And God can do all things. I mean, just all things. All things can be healed. All things can be managed. So in a time of insecurity, we have that assurance, and for believers, that reassurance. And so that young lady, you can pray for her because she's a new believer, and every day I check in with her, I say, how you doing? What are you studying? What are you looking at? Another gentleman that's in the program, he just relapsed about two weeks ago, and he repented, and he came to us and said, I blew it, and I don't want to go down this path. And we said, okay, we're going to do something we don't normally do. Our door's open. Come in. We'll receive you. We're going to hug you. So every day I go to him and I say, Levi, what are you doing different today? Uh-huh, what? And I said, because what you were doing different, what you were doing before didn't quite work. So what are you doing today? Because what I want to hear from them is that I'm looking at Proverbs chapter 12 or I'm looking at Genesis or I'm looking at how my salvation is fashioned in the New Testament because 
our walk with Christ and our recovery in the Lord, no matter what kind of sin you may or may not have come from, it's a verb. It's an active thing. Though we can't attain it on our own, our relationship with Christ is something that we must actively pursue. Verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsel of the wicked are deceitful. The words of the wicked are lie and wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. Verse 7. The wicked are overthrown and are no more. The house of the righteous will stand. God gave me the illustration. I come from, don't throw anything at me. <laughs> I come from California. Um, grew up on a farm there. Been trying to get out in the country ever since. So grateful to be here. But on California, we have a number of houses that are, are perched on cliffs along the ocean. And the thing is, you can look at that house from the front, and it looks beautiful. The trim's painted. Everything's cozy. It might be the perfect craftsman or the Kincaid Cottage. But on the back, if you look, oftentimes the, the ground is eroded, and the foundation is hanging out, and it's, and it's just teetering on the edge of total and complete destruction. And as I challenge the men and the women in the program, I say, look, don't just come in here and do time. Time isn't the cure. You got to work on creating that foundation that God would have for you. And I can't tell you exactly what that is because it's a little different for every person. But as I pray with people, I know that God's going to speak to their heart because God speaks to my heart. And I coined my recovery today. I've been sober almost 25 years and I coin it to fasting, that there's, there's things that I choose not to do in order to stay in God's goodness. I don't believe I can ever fall from God's grace. But like I said early, earlier, my misery too is 100% redeemable at any time. The gospel mission, it's your mission. I tell people now, look, you spent, the community spent millions Millions of dollars to put that facility there. Put us to work. Put us to work. You've called us. God's called us. Put us to work. So the church today oftentimes will have people come up to them and say, I need a hotel room or I need lunch or I need this and I need that. That's what we specialize in. We do a, a good lunch. Let me tell you, if you ever want to come down and have lunch, 1130, you can have lunch with me and I'll buy it for you. One of the programs I'm kicking off now is called the Mission Bucks Program. The Mission Bucks program is designed to counteract panhandling and counteract tent city concept. Everybody knows what Portland looks like. I just recently went up to Salem. I was shocked by all the tent cities. Huge amount of tents. But it wasn't until I saw children playing amongst those tents did my heart break. Because the children, I mean the children. So I, I've created a program it's called the Mission Bucks Program, and, and this is an illustration of, I had to make it a little bigger because trying to show you this is a bit of a challenge. So I oftentimes tell people when I give them a card, a business card, that, that my name's really cool, but what's the coolest part is the programs on the back, that if you hand this or a Mission Bucks Program to somebody, this will give them that hand up that they need. If you hand them five bucks, no matter how hungry they are, if they're addicted, it's going to go to their addiction. And for those of us that know that there are people out there that are looking to hustle you and rip you off, they put on an attire. They put on the sad face. And they make two to $300 a day taking your money and bleeding your heart and wallet dry. But through a Mission Buck program, 
if all we give to the panhandlers in our community and mission bucks, then that, this will give them a, a direction to go and a hand up they need. Those people that are just conning us and frankly ripping us off, if all they receive is mission bucks, they're gonna go somewhere else because they'll find that the community only has mission bucks for them. You're gonna find people that, that'll tell you, oh, I've been kicked out of there. Well, understand, we just have some simple rules. You know, once you're in, stay in. Give back four hours a day to sweeping floors or helping cook and we will clothe you, and we will feed you, and we will shelter you. And understand that this family of believers is that we will also disciple them. We share Christ with them every opportunity we can. When I go back to the kitchen area, we have the main kitchen, and then we have the side scullery area where they wash dishes. That's where our newest people come. And I always make sure to stop in there. And I'm kind of notorious for this because I, I love meeting the newcomers because they're like me. You know, sitting in Dave Morris's office, they're scared to death. They're in a totally uncomfortable place. They don't know what's going on. They're there because ultimately they have to be. And so first I ask them their name, and they tell me their name. And I say, well, where did you come from? And they might share a little story with me, or they might not share anything at all. And I say, look, just understand that this is a house of refuge. This is a place that, that you can be safe, that you can... You can have the things, your basic needs met, and we will just love on you until you're able to love on yourself. And they're like, well, what does that mean? And that's my cue. I say, you know what? I was once a dirtbag. I was once a druggie. They say, well, who are you? I said, well, for some reason, they keep telling me I'm in charge. And, and we laugh. I laugh harder because <laughs> I'm like, really, Lord? But then I share with them an opportunity to accept Christ. And I, and I kind of... I kind of corner them back there. I'm like, you can accept Jesus right now or you could postpone it. What do you want to do? And I've had the pleasure of leading a lot of people to the Lord there. And then I immediately tell our chaplain who starts uh, discipling and ministering to them. I gave praise to my chaplain the other night, which he promptly gave to the Lord. But I was so grateful that I needed to give him a little bit of an attaboy. I said, since you've been here, have you ever baptized so many people? Because we've, we've had about three baptisms. The last baptism we had was in the summertime, and I filled up my truck with a tarp in it because we couldn't afford a hot tub. I mean, who, who can? And uh, we baptized them in the parking lot in the middle of my truck, which was neat. And I said, uh, I said to Joe, I said, have you ever baptized so many people? And he says, you know what, Mr. Crawford, I haven't. And I don't think the mission has baptized as many people and the whole time it's been here as in the last six, seven months. I said, good, because that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be leading people to the Lord, baptizing people, uh, discipling people, and that's, that's my heart. So out in the foyer, I'll have envelopes for you. In the envelopes will be the sheet. It kind of describes the program on how you can get involved and how you can give away the mission bucks. Because again, the meals that we serve are not your traditional soup kitchen. I mean, everything is homemade. Everything is great. There was one time we're eating tri-tip. We're eating tri-tip. We have ranchers in the community that will donate a whole side of beef to us or a whole cow. And I stood up in the middle of the guests and I said, you guys, we're eating tri-tip. And they all like fork stops. I said, this is amazing. I have never worked for a mission or been in a mission that serves tri-tip. And they're like, and I said, look, it's not a praise to the mission, but it's the fact that the community loves you. It's the fact that the community believes in you. It's the fact that the community sees that there's potential on each and every one of you. And I always try to meet their eyes and identify and stop, and I point to each person when I, when I talk to the men and women because oftentimes they'll, 
their sin will be so unique, they'll think, oh, nobody could be where I've been, or no, nobody can heal me from the crud I've been in. And I want to challenge that. You know, oftentimes they've been told they were a bum or they were a loser and all this crud. And I'm like, no, this mission exists because the community believes in you. So this sheet explains the program on how to use it. Uh, I'm trying to get it out to everybody, basically. Um, in there, you'll find our envelope also. It's representative of the 300 strong. If you go on our website, it explains this program. Uh, what it comes down to is this, and, I, and I'm not going to nail you for money all day long, but I will tell you this. I divided our budget by 70,000 people. 70,000 people we have in the Klamath Basin. And, and in order to make budget, we've been, which we've been struggling to do, in order to make budget, how many people go to Dutch Brothers? It's a large frozen Dutch Brothers. If everybody gave $8 in the community, we not only could do what we do, but we could also build that men and children's shelter that we so desperately need. Because we've had to turn away men that weren't necessarily addicted, but just run out of money because they lost their job, they lost their place, and they have two beautiful children or three beautiful children or one with them, and we're like, how do we, how do we minister to them? So 300 strong is how you can do that. You could give $8 a month and be on a rotational cycle so where every month it just takes from your, your debit card or your credit card or you can do a one-time gift. So inside the envelope you will find five mission bucks in there. And I will happily give you more. But every time you see a panhandler or somebody struggling or you're going through the drive-thru at McDonald's and there's somebody sitting there all broken, give them a mission buck. And I'm, and I'm not telling you not to buy them a hamburger. If God tells you to buy them a hamburger, buy them a hamburger, but stick one of those mission bucks in there too. Because on the back of these mission bucks is also the bus route. It's also a picture of who we are. You know, when you drive past the mission, it looks like three-county buildings, and I really struggled with that. I wanted to put up that old cross that we had. Traditionally, missions always have a cross that says, Jesus saves, and it's always lit up. And people that would come off the trains, the hobos, right, would come off the trains in the 20s, would always look for that light, that cross in the air, and they knew it was a house of refuge and a place, safe place to be. I later did some research to the term hobo, and hobos were our transient workers. They were ones that would go across the country, work, and then go back home, and they were our transient workers. And so hobo actually stands for homeward bound. I didn't know that before, and I thought as Christians, we're all hobos because we're all homeward bound. We're looking for Christ to take us home. So we're no different than any of the hobos at the mission. So as, I, as I'm trying to figure out how can we get our identity out there, I thought, okay, so I'm going to talk to people about a sign. But a sign was going to cost us between thirty dollars and $40,000. And at the time, we weren't making budget. And I'm like, Lord, how are we going to do that? Lord, put it on my heart. We wrapped our truck, our big panel truck, in a, in a vinyl wrap that has all our, our logo and detail on it. And we parked that out in the parking lot. And that's our $3,300 $3, solution for now to be identified. So on the back of the mission box is a map and a picture of the mission because one day I hope to put that cross back up because that's my heart. The mission that I knew in Santa Rosa, the mission I knew in Reading, and the mission you know that used to be downtown had that cross. I still have the cross from the mission downtown. I can't wait to celebrate the moment when we can put it up and it's lit up above that building. It says, Jesus saves. Understand this, when I began my relationship with my board. I had to set some lines in the sand and I, and I said everything begins and ends at the cross. That 
We are labeled the Klamath Falls Gospel Mission Recovery Center, but my heart is gospel mission because that identifies not only our identity, but our purpose. And I think that the gospel always comes before recovery, that it, it's a side effect. So that I want us to always reflect the gospel mission. So out in the foyer, you can find these. I will happily give those to you and talk to you about the program. Um, it's a great way to help person, help a person in a non-judgmental way because you're still telling them, I know a place where you can get the help you need and I can give you uh, this mission buck that will send you in that direction um, without telling them that, you know, there's no hope, there's no future. And, and without telling them, you know, money's not the solution. You need a mission buck because the money's going to go back to their addiction. Newsletters, we have newsletters that go out every month to talk about our antics and different things that we do. Um, this, this month uh, talks about a little bit about what we're doing at the mission and we're celebrating the greatest birthday party we've ever had and seen and that's the birth of Christ. Um, challenge you to all come down to the mission. Take one of my cards, give me a call. I'd invite you to come for lunch and get an understanding of what we do. But understand this is that today... The, the face of the mission has changed. It's not necessarily the hobo or the alcoholic rolling off the train, but it's our working poor and our homeless that come to the mission for help. We're not trying to enable them and keep them in their addiction. We're not a fan of the legalization of drugs. I hate drugs. I really do. I want to see them freed up. I want to see them led to the Lord. I want to see them discipled. I'd like to see God be glorified through the mission. And I know if we do that, God's going to continue to bless the mission, and continue to keep it there. So thank you very much for sharing, or for having me. I am grateful to be here. Thank you. Yes, of course. I'd love for you to stand with me this morning. You can tell why I love Eamon. And uh, I, love, I love the gospel mission. I don't know if you've ever been down there. I've gone down there, had a meal, sat and talked with people at a table, uh, taken small groups down there so we can serve the meal and those kind of things. I love serving down there. It's just a well-organized, very efficient ministry, and I, that's why I think the Lord put it on my heart to help uh, support the mission, because it really is supported by you and me and churches like like ours, and uh, they're reaching people that I'm not going to have a chance to reach. Some of them might end up here, but they're not going to start here. I hope so. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but I want to say a prayer for Amen, if we could, just asking the Lord to bless and and uh, asking the Lord to use us to bless others this holiday season. Jesus, I want to thank you for uh, what you've done in Amen's life. Lord, uh, all of us, uh, you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And I want to thank you for, Lord, the pathway of discipline. Because it does take discipline to follow Jesus. And Lord, I appreciate the effort he's put into staying out of the pothole. Mm. And Lord, I want to thank you for your faithfulness through him to help reach others. Lord, we lift up the gospel mission. We pray for blessing and anointing. I so yes. thank you for uh, bringing him to Klamath Falls with his wife and with his kids. Lord, keep them all safe. And, Lord, bless uh, many. Lord, I pray that hundreds would come to Christ as a result of their influence, their lives, and their ministry through the gospel mission. Lord, help our church be a blessing to them as yes, well. We Lord. thank you for that. Love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Could we all say amen together? Amen. 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 I uh, really appreciate you sharing, Amen. Uh, I really appreciate um, this. my times down there. 
because you, you do a great job. Thank Appreciate you. it very much. God bless you. Thank you. Uh, so Thank you. could we uh, sing before we go? I'll give you this microphone if that's okay, uh, Shelly. Uh, hope you're enjoying this holiday season. Uh, if you have any special needs, if we can be a, a part of anything that you have need of uh, during this holiday season, we'd love to do it as a church family. So let's sing before we go, and God bless you as you leave.